Welcome, and thank you for joining us again on Forensic Psych Podcast. Today, we are welcoming Tom Bolton, uh, a unit supervisor um, at, uh, well, I'll just let you tell him about, I'll just let him tell you about his background. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing well. Cool. You want to jump right into the questions? Sure, that's oh, fine. All right, all right. I just got off work. So work is done, so I'm a little tired, so my uh, focusing level is not at its height that <laughs> okay. it can be. Okay. I'm a little slow on the uptake, if you know what I mean right now. I, I got tired. you. I got you. It's been a long day. <laughs> Folks, we are we are both drinking cups of coffee at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. This is this has some indication as to as to uh, the energy level here in the room. <laughs> okay. Low energy level, and I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, no. This is going to be great. This is fun. This is fun. Because that's how... Everybody feels after a day of work. That's kind of universal. I think so. I think so. Okay. First question. Tom, what is your discipline and how would you describe what you do? What is my discipline? Well, when we say discipline, we're talking about the different jobs in the hospital when we say disciplines. So uh, how would I describe it as a unit supervisor? Uh, I supervise a housing unit at the hospital. Uh, we have about 35 patients and I have about 25 employees. Okay, where, where do you work? Tell us where you work. I work at a state hospital. Okay, cool. Which is cool. a forensic facility. Okay, cool. And you can probably describe that better than I can. <laughs> but, uh, it's it's your show, so <laughs> no, no, no. We're 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 just talking about our field. We're just talking about the forensic psychiatric field that we okay. all have have uh, grown to uh, to uh, know and love. Okay. Wink, it, wink. It's it's good to give people context to understanding what a, what is a forensic facility like, a forensic psych facility. And um, to sum it up, I would say uh, they are incarcerated. Okay. They cannot leave. They're not there voluntarily. Yeah. They have not committed themselves. No, no. It's different than the community commitment. It's very yeah. different. Okay, yeah. That's what differentiates the two. Somebody, somebody used the term before. Um, they have criminal law. They have, yes, they have a mental illness. Okay, and they've got all the they've got all the unfortunate side effects that go with either schizophrenia, you know, audio hallucinations, delusions, what have you. But then they also have criminologic thinking was the term that got used, and I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty succinct, pretty well put. Criminologic thinking, in addition to having all these symptoms, right? And it's uh, that's uh, the big thing is they're all felons. Okay, most of the majority of them have a violent history. Okay, gotcha. Long history. Gotcha. Prison history. Gotcha. Many of them are out of prison and okay. committed here. Some, and then you have all these different commitments, and I won't get into the numbers of 1370, 1026, 2684, because uh, I think it's going to bore your audience to death. <laughs> but uh, what they are is you have incompetent to stand trial. Yeah. Which are technically, they're not guilty of anything. They are waiting trial. They're waiting to go to trial. Tell, we're uh, trying to get them ready to go to trial. So how do we how do we get them ready to go to trial? It's a training. Uh, it's teaching them about the court system, how it works. Um, of course, also it's a filtering process to weed out those who are feigning symptoms. Oh, interesting. I'm not going to use the word faker, but okay, that's essentially let's be blunt. That's what they're doing. Okay, and there is a percentage. I. I can't tell you what the percentage is because I don't know, but there is a definite percentage of those in prison who have come out of crimes previously, or uh, they just are about to face a lot of prison time and they look at it as insan uh, guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity, NGI, yeah. as a way out. Okay. It, it isn't. They don't know that. So we have to educate them that okay. NGI is uh, something that could put you in the mental hospital for life. And I, many of them, once they realize this, they suddenly get well. 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I was the 1370 uh, incompetent to stand trial coordinator for five years. Okay. So I got to know. Now, 1370 is different than NGI, though, right? Correct. Okay. They're, when they go back to court, they can be found not guilty by reason of insanity, and some are, and then they're brought back into the hospital. Okay. It's not guilty by reason of insanity, which is an indeterminate sentence. Right. Which it, <laughs> you may not ever get out. Indeterminate. It's possible, but. Okay, that's that's interesting. So how do how do guys react when you when you tell them, hey, this is this may this is an indeterminate sentence, and and that means that it's open ended. How do they react when when that when that message comes across, and they and they you they, they process, oh, that's what that means. What what do, what do they look like? What do they look like? Well, you know, the the, the saddest thing is when they uh, really do have a mental illness, yeah, and they may not even be aware of it. Yeah, uh, there's no insight. Sure, sure. And so they suddenly realize that they could be stuck here forever. And it's uh, it can be very, it's a very sad thing. Okay, but but and and I I understand and and can can I think we can feel, uh, uh, we can we could kind of naturally feel sympathetic towards people who really really are in a bad way. But what about let's go back to the these these folks that are faking. What what when when that when when they get that message across? Oh. This is this could this could be forever. What what happens? What do you see? What does that look like? Well, usually um, it's not me as a unit supervisor. That's really not my job. Uh, that is the forensic psychiatrist. That's who usually breaks the the ugly truth to them. Okay, and that's uh, they're they're sitting down and really and they can say it with authority because yeah. they're the forensic psychiatrists. They're the ones that are going to be testifying in court. Yeah, as to this, okay. not me as a, as a unit supervisor. Yeah. So does that go over well usually? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine. To put, it, to put it simply, no, it's not. And many times they'll at that point they'll just say, "Hey, I was they'll just admit it." Okay, yeah, I was uh, I was feigning symptoms. I was faking the whole time. Okay. And so they're they're processed fairly quickly back to court. Okay. At that point. Because then it's just a quote and a matter of repeating the, qu- the right. quotes. To the right, judge. they're actually back to court where they left off. Okay. So in a sense, court is put on hold. Well, so they hit the pause button. They come to the hospital, get them competent. Oh wait, he was just fake. I hate to yeah. use that word faking, but it's, yeah, uh, it's the truth. this is an this is an informal conversation. Okay. We can use whatever language we want. Okay. <laughs> uh, once that's determined, then they just go back to court. The court resumes. Where it left off. Okay. Okay. And then anything could happen. They could be guilty, not guilty. Right. And but so, so they don't buy. It doesn't buy them anything coming here. Not really. No. Okay. No. All right. So we. I. Okay. So we jumped ahead a little bit, but let, let's. It, you, can I you, add you, one can, thing? Yeah. Sure. Please. I've been fooled many times. Bam. There you I've go. seen the Academy Awards. <laughs> the, I mean, some of these gentlemen are so skilled at. Faking mental illness. Yeah. And the other side of the coin, there's others that are so good at faking wellness. Right. Because they they want to avoid the scorn of society or something like that. Yeah. Truly, truly ill individuals, and yet they are doing everything they can to fake well. To fake. Yeah. Well, I I guess you can, I guess we can kind of understand the, the, uh, the motivation behind that. Nobody wants to be an outcast. Nobody wants to be the sick person in the herd. So they try and. And act well. I guess we would too, mm-hmm. given that, given the, if the you know if we were in that position, um, 
We'll come back to this, these, the, the folks that are faking a little bit more later because that this is interesting. That's interesting stuff. Um, so you are uh, a unit supervisor. You, what's your day look like? Okay, my my primary what do you do? We, like what you do? Responsibilities. Yeah. My primary responsibility is to keep my staff and the patients safe. I'm responsible for the health and safety of an entire housing unit which runs 24-7, three shifts, AM, PM. What could and, possibly go wrong? Right. Uh, so uh, making sure that uh, everything is uh, running smoothly, that means getting sure, making sure everybody's paid. They seem to, I don't, I don't know, it's very important for the staff to want to get paid. I don't, I've never understood this. I'm being really sarcastic. Yeah, you are. Uh, you so it's, listeners, it's a, you can't see this this <laughs> this um, this yeah, cat that ate the canary grin uh, that emerged on on uh, Tom's mouth as he was saying that, but so, it was there. So one of my primary uh, duties is to make sure everybody gets paid, and so it's a big timekeeping. Uh, you can imagine that the overtime. There's a tremendous amount of overtime generated by the hospital. Uh, there are staffing shortages, which is a whole other subject we'll okay. talk about later. But uh, so there's a lot of overtime. We have three different shifts running, overlapping shifts, a lot of uh, swapping of shifts. So it's kind of a um, a nightmare for timekeeping okay. purposes. I believe uh, it. And then the other part is keeping everybody safe. Okay. And so kind of the health and safety person for the whole unit. Okay. Um, and a housing unit again is, is in my particular case, it's about 35 patients. They can go all the way up to about 50 patients in a larger unit. Oh, wow. They can be single unit, uh, individual rooms, or it can be a dorm unit where you have four or five patients in each dorm unit. Okay. So they vary widely. Okay. Gotcha. So getting, making, taking care of your staff basically, and then, um, and then providing for everybody's safety, staff and patients. And okay. documenting anything that happens, anything and everything. You've listed three things just there. Which of those three is the most, is, is the hardest for you to do? The hardest? Yeah. What's most challenging for Tom? Keeping staff aware of their surroundings and that they are working in a forensic maximum okay. security facility. So that's that falls under the category of um, safety. safety. Yes. Okay. That's my primary concern is that uh, my folks walk home. I walk home. Yeah. <laughs> they get home yeah. every day. What's, what, are the, what are the barriers to them? What are the barriers to them? Um, being safe. What are some barriers? That well, we're working with a population that's uh, very dangerous. Okay. They have a proven track record of violence. Okay. Uh, many of them a lifetime of violence um, against uh, others themselves, harming themselves or others. Uh, so we have a, a very dangerous um, environment that we deal with in a professional manner to keep it as safe as possible with the resources that we have. Which, if you had to pick one, one tool, you're a supervisor, you manage a staff of, of employees, and, the, I, and, and they are all licensed psych techs, correct? Oh, correct. I should have okay. said that. I have okay. uh, about 25 um, licensed psychiatric technicians and registered nurses. Okay. Um, the ratio is about five to one. Okay. For every one nurse, there's uh, uh, five psychiatric technicians. That's kind of a general ratio throughout the hospital. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I did not know that. And then, of course, we have some people, um, uh, you know, right down to the custodian all the way up to the psychiatrist. Uh, you know, we have a, a clinicians. Now, I have uh, five or six clinicians, but I don't supervise them. Right. I 
You, can, you, you, um, what's the word? You collaborate with them. I collaborate, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a team. It's a very much a team effort. Okay, cool. And it, it's <laughs> extremely important for teamwork. We, oh. Our protection level, uh, these patients have come out of prison, most of them, many of them. Okay. Guards have uh, bulletproof vests, stab proof vests. And, and what, do we wear, what do we wear at the hospital? Let's see, Scrubs? I have a t shirt. Uh, I, I, a, I always wear I always wear scrubs. <laughs> we all have a very high level of protection with um, about a millimeter of cotton. Yeah, the, well, you know, the, I, I always wore the I always preferred the Cherokee Work brand uh, men's scrubs. Um, that tightly woven cotton. It's gonna it's gonna do what it's gonna do. It's gonna do the job. Protecting yeah. from puncture wounds. I'm kidding. Let's so no, let yeah no pep we have no peppers. Uh, we have nothing. We'll talk more about that later because we have each other. We have each other, and and that's enough. Um, we'll talk more about that later. But your perspective, as somebody who manages people, a staff of 25 RNs and PTs, whose priority is safety, correct, and the biggest the biggest barrier to everybody going home safe, uh, I think you said was the, the patients. With a history of a, a, a record of violence, a, a, a an ability to act out towards others violently, that is their track record. So, if that's the barrier to keeping your people safe, what's your number one tool? You got to pick one, one tool, and it can be anything. It, it can be a process. It can be an uh, a piece of equipment. Um, it can be the, your interaction. It can be a meeting. It can be anything. What, what do you think you're number one? Well, I think we already said it. Teamwork. Team. Okay. Good deal. Without teamwork, people get hurt. I've seen it. And, I, you know, I've been there for 20 years. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people get hurt. Okay. Many, many people get hurt. I've, I've been hurt. How? I've been assaulted. Uh, was it, did you have any soft tissue damage or broken bones? Did you have yes. any? Okay. All right. You want to tell us what, what they were? Uh, broken nose. Broken nose. Yeah, no broken major bones, but uh, facial. I had my, my eyebrow got cracked. So if you can imagine getting hit that hard where your eyebrows literally cracked. Okay. And that was, the doctor found that later on the x-rays. First it was just, oh, busted nose, you'll be fine. And then, yeah, hey, I'm getting headaches. I'm getting, uh, I'm just, my nose is bleeding three weeks later, you know. All right. And then they found that. So, so that was they- one of my worst injuries that I've had there. That sounds bad, man. Yeah. Did, did did they diagnose you with a um, concussion? No, I didn't. I didn't get knocked out. How would you describe? It? Got knocked silly. Okay. Uh, just about got knocked okay. out, but I stayed on my feet. Okay, and, and luckily, luckily I had some help there okay. that sh- that ran up, or he probably could have beat me to death easily. How how many times do you know how many times he hit you? I remember one good one, <laughs> one good one, and then everything else kind of went. Roo, 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 roo. Yeah. Okay. And so it was very early in my career, and uh, that was probably the worst one. Uh, it was a kind of a wake-up call where, yeah. where I'm at, where I'm working. All right. How many years ago was that? I was probably about 15 years ago. 15 years ago? Yeah. What? Uh, how's your neck? Not so good. I was assaulted by uh, a deer on a motorcycle out in front of the hospital. Okay. All right. <laughs> to a totally, completely different story. No, no, no. This is... Let, I let, was the guy. Let's, let's laugh for a minute. Let's laugh guy. for a minute. What, what, what exactly happened with the deer? I was riding into work, coming into the hospital road, and a deer jumped out of the trees. And uh, the people behind... I luckily had a couple of nurses behind me in a car. And they said, yeah, it jumped. And then it hesitated. And then right 
But when you it got to you, it jumped and landed on you. And then, <laughs> oh my God, Tom! So I got knocked off the bike. And Where did it? What part of its body hit you? The whole thing. Just like there, its chest hit yeah. your chest and head. Yeah. Oh, geez. So my neck was my neck was pretty messed up for a little while. I lost a few weeks of work, but I came back to work. You know. Okay. But no, my neck has never been the same. <laughs> okay. But you you're in good spirits. Don't worry, listeners. He's smiling. Hey, you want to? I have I have a funny deer story. It happened on the way home from work. Um, I, I was working. I, I got lunch at nine o'clock at night. Ran out to a burger place I liked. It, 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 you got to go down this rural stretch of road. And on the way back, you know, you don't want to be late, right? So you're you're going, you know, at a pretty good clip. And I just saw this blur, and then bam! And this thing dr- destroyed the front end of my car. I was able to limp it to work. And it was, you know, and you're leaving close to midnight and, and you're, you're like, you don't want to, you don't want to have to get a tow truck at midnight. You want to go home at midnight, especially after you've been in a wreck. Oh yeah. And so I was like, I just, I talked to a friend. It's like, come on, be behind, you know, drive your car behind me. And, uh, and on the way home, we got pulled over by a cop and they're like, you know, just go home, but have the other guy drive in front. Cause you have. You know, your lights are pointing at down at the ground at your tires, not anywhere th- that matters. So, you know, yeah, so I hit a deer too. So we both we both got a deer story. Yours is a hell of a lot worse than mine. I'm sorry. And the story about about the the about the assault is 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 bad. And everybody that listens to this that works everybody that works behind the Sally port um, um, has has a similar story. Um, they vary in they all vary in degrees. Of how bad, um, but but that though, everybody's got their story. So thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, uh, and I have more for you if you want. Okay, well let's let's well let's you know we've got more we've got more stuff to cover. So let's keep going. All right. Let's keep going here. We um okay, we talked about what you do, and we talked about where you work. Um, we got some nice insights from you on that. What's your background? And this is the whole broad spectrum. Social, prior work experience, family, economic, education. What What's your background? How do you think it informs your choice of profession? Oh, wow, Sam. How much time do we have? Hours, buddy. Okay. Hours. I, yeah, I don't want to bore you with my whole life story. For, um, well, you got to keep it real or it's not interesting, Tom. Okay. Well, previous to this, I had a completely unrelated life. Sure. Uh, I was... Work, oh, wait, the cops are here. <laughs> My background. Okay, uh, I was heavily, heavily involved in the motorsports industry. When I say motorsports, I worked at dealerships that sold motorcycles, watercraft, ATV, oh, boats, okay. all the toys. That yeah, has fun that with. sounds fun. That and sounds so, cool. Yeah. So I, you know, I used to race motorcycles when I was younger. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I was heavily involved in that. I was. A, I wasn't a, a professional. I was. I, was the amateur. But serious amateur. Yeah, like, you know, semi-sponsor, not really. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, well, so I what, was, what'd you ride? What'd you ride? Uh, motocross. Okay. Strictly motocross. Okay. So I can name all my bikes, CR500, YZ250, RM250. Nah. No. Anyway, on. had a lot of bikes. Uh, worked in the industry because it was so fun. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't pay any money. Couldn't make any money at it. But I stayed with it and did it for years and years and years. And it was just, you know, I got to ride all these motorcycles. Uh, you know, wave runners too. All the, that. Okay, all that sounds sea-doos, pretty good. All the sea and all the ATVs and stuff. And so, you know, 
that's what kept me in there. I couldn't make a, I couldn't make an honest, I couldn't make a, a good living gotcha. monetarily. Sure. But it sure was fun. So, you know, I just had to get serious about, uh, well, let's put it this way. Kids come along, you need money for college, right? Yeah. Okay. Roger so that. this job, I will say this about this job is it pays well. People I've talked with, that's what we all agree on. Um, this is a, this is a legitimate profession. We take it seriously it is it's it's got it's rewarding in so many ways um and you get paid a profession a professional's a wage which is which is refreshing in in today's economy right and that's my for, two cents yeah. and for somebody with just a you know a, a equivalent of a, a as degree a general ed uh, associate degree i'm making some uh, a decent wage Let's don't brag <laughs> listeners this guy's about to brag i'm gonna squash this right now i'm also uh, about to retire so I don't know if you mentioned that. No, no, no. So we are, listeners, we are privileged because Tom Bolton is going to be a retired man in how many days? Eight days. Eight days. So we got this, we got this interview in under the, right under the radar, right under the limit, folks. So thanks. We're glad, glad you're here, man. Thank you for, for doing this. Thank, thank you for taking the time. Yeah. The, uh. Okay. Okay. So you're. You, so okay. So tell. Gosh, what were we talking about? So you, you you were having fun with the motorsports, not making any okay. money. And I spoke to a registered nurse here, who's okay. a friend of mine, and he said, "Hey, if you want to make some real money, uh, and it's you know kind of a scary. He'd been working here already. He knew what it was about. He knew what I was. He was getting me into. Do I do I know the nurse first name only? Uh, Everett. No, 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 no. Uh, he, he went. He's since gone over to CMC since then. Okay. As a registered nurse, um, but anyway, he told me about the job, gave me a brief description of what it was like, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, it may not be for you. It's not for everybody, but you may want to check it out because you can make a pretty decent living, and the and it's not so much the the pay, it's the benefit package is outstanding. Yeah. yeah. You can't beat the benefit package. Health, health insurance, retirement, the, the pay. vision, dental. Once I saw that on paper, I said, what's the catch? Once I saw all this, what's the downside? Not knowing nothing, absolutely nothing about the job. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that in, in hindsight, isn't that funny? Yes. <laughs> what, yes. What's the catch? <laughs> so I sign, and it's like signing up to the military, and then, uh, you know, once you're in, you're in. It's a lot of um, hoops yeah. to get into psychiatric technician school, yeah. which is, you know, a solid year of... You're not getting. You're doing forty hours a week, and you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. You're in school, literally forty hours a week of clinicals and classroom time, and plus you know, homework. You know, not to yeah. mention your, your homework that you have to do. So it's a tough year. It's a tough year. But it, if you have a spare year on your hands, you too can be a psychiatric technician. Now, an RN is a little bit different program. That's a two-year program. Right. It takes right. a little longer, uh, and it's also very tough. Yeah. For sure, but Just, RNs make more, a lot more. Longer, <laughs> longer. Don't say that. Don't say that. Longer schooling. Longer, longer schooling. Longer schooling. That's a big focus. Okay. Okay. Cool. That was so. You you, you talked to to Everett. You got the you got the 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 lowdown. Mm -hmm. You went and signed up for psych tech school. You, so next thing you know, I'm inside working as a student. Okay. At uh, how was that? What did you? Was it thrilling? Did it scare the shit out of you? What? 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 What, what was it like? Paint the picture for uh, yeah. us. Yeah, scared is a good word. Okay. Because all of a sudden you're in with these, uh, you know, you're in there with murderers and robbers and 
carjackers and mother rapers and father rapers and I mean it <laughs> Arlo was, Gu Guthrie reference. <laughs> I, I applaud the Arlo Guthrie reference. <laughs> but I mean it's reality and it runs the gamut in there. And again, everybody in there is a felon. Not, there's nobody in there that has done just uh, misdemeanors, yeah. and low level crimes. Yeah. It's all violent felonies. Yeah. Uh, or at least you know, major felonies. I've got several murderers on my unit right now. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but you know, we're talking, uh, we're talking high-level felons. These are career felons. Oh. Gotcha. Okay, they're not nice folks. They're not the nice folks. They're not <laughs> nice folks. Okay, okay, gotcha. That's fair. So you're in there, and next thing you know, you're rubbing, you're literally rubbing elbows and shoulders with them. It's not, uh, it's not a prison. They're not behind bars. You are walking with them, amongst them, and you're sitting right next to them. And so that's, I think that was probably the, I wouldn't say shocking, but surprising thing is when I came in was they're they're just walking loose. Isn't it entry? It, 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 well, they're 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 and let's let's put this in context. They're they're folks that that have that, that have those backgrounds that you've mentioned, um, but this is because by virtue of this being a a psychiatric hospital. Though it is forensic, they are out walking around in the in the in the environment of the the housing unit or wherever they go for for group uh, activities. Um, they for we, we we commonly refer to as the milieu. They're out walking around there, and that's where you rub elbows with them. And like you said, that's probably that's probably a little startling. That's the most startling thing. And just a quick story: I worked um, in another area where we admitted them straight out of prison, literally in shackles, where uh, the guards would from prison would bring them in and let them loose. And we would put them through the process of uh, going through all the nursing assessment and everything um, in the admission suite. Yeah. They call it the admission suite. So I have experience there, too. So, okay. so, so yeah. I, I'm so you sympathetic like. to you. So you know what that's like. Yeah. And so my little uh, fun thing I would do is let the guards, because they, they'd be curious, what's it like to step out in the main hallway here up and, you know, yeah, I've heard they're just walking around. I said, "Well, yeah, so they are. Would you like to? Would you like to experience that?" And so I would let them out, open the security door, and let them out into the main hallway. And usually they would be back against the wall, um, you know, not not in fear. They're guards. Most of these guards are pretty big, burly guys, you know. Sure. But they're they're uh, many times they'd say, "Hey, I know that guy. Why yeah. don't you let him run loose?" You let so so there so let's 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 get this straight. There they these these are sworn officers. They've got all due and necessary training to be in any sort of lock facility in the state of California. So that's all cool and good. But they walk out into the the main hallway where you work, and they have their back against the wall. They're and deeper. they're okay and with their with their stab 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 proof uh, equipment on, and uh, and they are out of their comfort zone immediately. It sounds like. Perfect description, yes. Out of their out of comfort, comfort zone. zone okay. They're used to being in control with bars and weapons. And, you know, they, of course, they can't have weapons inside. Yeah. The weapons are checked in at the gate before they even step inside yeah. the place. Yeah. There's no weapons allowed. Right, we right, that. right. And so they're suddenly there without their usual weapon. And Yeah, and they feel a little naked without it, I yeah, bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, welcome to my world, boys. <laughs> well, that's see, isn't that interesting? And and I I uh, I'll me I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Um, when I first got into the forensic psych field, I um, I got mentored by um, 
a, uh, a, a great psych tech named Abe Gomez, who has since passed on to another plane of existence. God bless him. But um, he, I, 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 I shadowed this dude and learned tons of stuff from this guy. And the, the main thing that I learned from this cat was your mouth is, is the tool that you work with here. It's the tool that you work with. You can do, you, you can get, you can talk to a patient and, and turn a situation around. You can talk to a patient and use that to defend yourself before anything physical happens. You can, that is your primary, it's, that's our go-to. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yes. And that's what makes a skilled psych tech or a skilled nurse, RN, is using the preemptive finesse. Oh, that's a good term. Preemptive finesse. i got to write that that's down. That's what it's all about. Okay. Preemptive finesse. Because if you want to be a cowboy and you want to find trouble, it'll find you real very quickly. All right. And so, yes, your, your, uh, your little tongue is the rudder that steers a, a ship. You know, okay. isn't that funny how, you know, a rudder is a very, very small little thing, yet it steers a gigantic ship. Well, your tongue kind of does the same thing, and if you don't keep it in check in this place, it'll get you into trouble. Bingo. And I oh. can tell you that from experience. Okay. We want to, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's come back to that, because that sounds interesting, as does the other action-packed uh, um, things that have befallen you. Um but let's talk about we're we're talking about we were we were just talking about your background and you got the the person that that tipped you off to this place. It's funny the other guy I interviewed for this show, he said, "Hey, my guidance counselor never told me about the forensic psychiatric field and your guidance counselor didn't tell you about that either." <laughs> I didn't uh as a little boy, I didn't say, "I want to be a psychiatric technician when I grow up." Gee whiz, right? Right? They it's never yeah, occurred to me. Yeah, no, it. but it's it's a great field. It yeah. really is. It's it's rewarding in so many ways. It is. W one thing that resonated with me, what you said was you you had kids and you had college to pay for and and you needed to get real about a profession, so you did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that it's it's funny what what motivates us, but our family is a primary motivator in life. It really yes. is, man. Yes. It really is. Yeah, when you look at that benefit package, you look at that. And Wow, that's something. I mean, yeah. Who has a pension it's anymore? Huge. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's yeah. So cool. Um, let's see. So we covered. I think we yeah we covered this. We covered this. Okay. I know. I know. I know there's some taxpayers out there. They're going. Yeah, you're welcome. But well, that's a whole other thing. Well, well, well. But to those taxpayers, in, in all in, in all honesty, uh, you know, um, we could we have a we have a a, a very good response. Um, what we do, and I usually get into this later in the discussion, but what what we do, in my opinion, is is a, a huge service to the state of California. And if you're listening to this in another state that work in, in and you work in the psych psych, psych forensic psychiatric field, it, well, it applies to your state too. By golly, um, we offer um, care and treatment for people who need it, who are exceedingly challenging to work with. These are not people that, that you would find in a community psychiatric setting. They can go down to county mental health, okay? Those people can't. These people are different, okay? And we are the, we, uh, well, we've used this term before too. We are the first responders. Okay, well, you talked about, you talked about the fun stuff. So that was kind of what you did before this, right? Yeah. Right, okay. Um, Tom, I've talked with you. I've worked with you. You manage a lot of people in a very challenging environment. 
Um, you're bright. You could have done different things in life. Um, by luck, you had a friend that told you about this place and you discovered that, hey, it is a profession. It's, it's, it is rewarding in so many ways and it, and it, and it gives me professional quality of life. Um, but you could have done different things. You chose this field. What about this field? The real question is what about working in this field appeals to your values? You're working with people. Okay. You're not working with things. Okay. There's so many people out there that deal with physical objects and, you know, they're in manufacturing and, and you know, that's great. And sometimes I wish, I almost wish I did that. <laughs> Working with people is a difficult job. Right. right. Um, but this is, like you said, it's a job that ha somebody has to do it. The old saying, somebody's got to do it. Right. These are people that cannot be out in your community. Right. It's unsafe. Right. And so they have to be housed. I hate to use that word housed. But until they're made safe, and we have people who are, we, they become safe. They become sane. They, be, they, they reach that level where they are discharged from the hospital. They go out to a community setting, and they are successful in it. Yes, absolutely. And I've seen it time and time again. I don't see the after, after a math, after effects of when they leave here. We don't, I don't get a lot of information because that's not my job to follow them into the community and so I don't get a lot of news of what happens to these folks right, right. after they get back out in the community. Right. Um, that's more of a social worker aspect. So many, there's so many clinicians, so many different jobs. Yeah, right. And there's, uh, we counted them uh, before. Uh, a social worker, registered dietitian, a psychologist, um, occupational therapist, recreational therapist, um, psychiatrist. Um, each patient treat, has a treatment team, and on that treatment team there is an additional psych tech and RN. We're already at eight people. Psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah, we're already at eight people. Social worker for for <laughs> for uh, a, a, a treatment team. That's that is a that is a ton of resources being devoted to one individual, right. and and it's all done with the intent of getting them as healthy as they can be. Yes, and, and so uh, man, that's, and that's, there is hope. There yeah. actually is hope. And that's something the hospital tries to instill in the patients and in us, that yeah. there is hope. These these shouldn't be throwaway people. Right. Because right. there's, there's, a, there's a faction out there that just says, lock them up, throw away the key, forget about them. Right. And that isn't right. It isn't right. Now, some of them are not safe to be let back out in the community, and we realize that, and so... And this is, and, rem and we're going to remind reality. everybody, and, yeah, and we're going to remind everybody this is a show of opinions. So everything we express here is our personal opinion. Right. So, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. T so totally gotcha. Our, our, our duty, our job is to keep people safe, and that includes the community. Yeah. So, so we can tell the taxpayers that if we're talking to them ever. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, it's, it's, this is a field where we work with people. Is it, I, I, from my perspective, it's helping. So I, I, I think of it as one of the help, helping yeah. professions, and I find that rewarding. Mm -hmm. But we are working with some of the most dangerous people on the planet. Do you? And, and we, I heard somebody describe psych techs and RNs that work directly with the patients as, as the green berets of the mental health. I've heard that too. Profession. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's like the special team ops. Of, yeah. Of We're, mental health. Yeah, first line of defense. Absolutely. Yeah, I've and not that, that they're any better or any uh, more deserving than people who are working out in the community, in the uh, county settings with um, people who are um, 
not criminals. But. Right, right. People that just go in and, and, and happen to be dealing with psychiatric issues and, and go to county. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're working just as hard, and their work, their work is just as important. Yeah, and, and just as challenging, difficult, dangerous. Just as difficult and dangerous, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I've heard that I've heard that Green Beret expression before, and I think it's yeah, totally true. Yeah, we're held to a higher standard. I know that. That's <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, so maybe it sounds like the challenge. You are kind of proud of being able to address the challenge of working with such a a difficult population. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I I felt that way too. After I got through the initial year of being scared to death, and 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 discovered a level of competency, yeah, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, and if you're working in this field and working with that population, you'd be proud of that too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right, we're gonna we'll shift gears for a second here. What's the state, in your opinion, in your opinion, what's the state of forensic psychi psychiatric care today? Well. There's, it's in the news. Okay. Psych, psychiatric treatment is in the news, and, and I think we all know why. We've had all these shootings. We've had all these mass shootings. Yeah. It's got a lot of, there's a lot of buzz out there. That's maybe why somebody's listening to this, this podcast right now. I don't know. Right. Uh, but it's definitely an issue. And um, what are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do about these folks that want to harm others? Yeah. Because we, you and I both have children, and we're, I, I know we're both scared to death right. about about anything happening to them. So I'm seeing a lot of attention by politicians um, being focused on this right now. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more. There's a lot more to come right now. More emphasis? Yeah, okay. emphasis, yes. Okay. That's what I see coming. Okay, that's fair. That is, you know, government takes time. <laughs> there's, there's, they're slow with Any, everything. Anybody <laughs> who's ever worked in government knows government takes time. <laughs> right? Uh, they move at a glacial pace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's just the maddening thing about working for the government. And when you work for the state, you're working for the government. It's just the bureaucracy and just the, the glacial pace of, of getting anything done. Yeah. You've yeah. got to go through multiple committees, forms, and subcommittees, and permissions, and signatures to get the smallest thing done, let alone the big things. And if, and, if, and if there's something that needs to get done and nobody's really sure how to approach it, they will form a committee on figuring out how to approach it. Yeah. They'll, form a, they'll form a committee to ask questions. And, and, and based on those questions, they'll form another committee to go and, and research answers. And, and that's what drives the public crazy. I, I, I get it. But I, <laughs> you know, I'm a very small cog in a very large machine. And I know that. I know sure. my place. Sure. In the meantime, I just have to follow policy and for hey, he, he, listeners. He says in the meantime, what he's not reminding us is for eight more days, and then he doesn't have to do shit ever again. <laughs> Yay! Hey, hats off to you, man. Hats off to you for making it twenty years. Where are you going first? What are you going to do? You said Hawaii, did you? Yeah, we're going to Kauai for a week to just decompress. Sounds rough. Well, you earned it. I feel like I've earned every penny. Yeah. Some other people might argue that. But uh, there's no other job like it. No, there's no not. other job like no, it. No, there's not. And if, if you're doing, if you are a conscientious professional in a forensic psych uh, facility, you're damn right. You've earned every penny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think you get to, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? Okay. Forensic psychiatric care. It's driven by something. What do you think are the drivers of 
of care for for this for the forensic psych field today. And I'll put this in context for you. Everything we do is based on research. We think research happens, and then there are results of that research, and then they implement they implement those and as best practices, and then and then we we carry that out into the treatment care we provide for patients. The research takes several years. Um, getting the results takes time. Uh, figuring out how to implement those results and what what positive outcomes your goal your your goals are going to be. That all can take like a decade. Okay. So in your opinion, what, what's the driver in our field right, right now? We may not be seeing it, may, we may not be working with it, but what do you think is driving it right now? Well, you use the word outcome. Okay. That's what I would like to see Okay, is outcome-based. Me working where I'm at, I, I don't get to see the outcome. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't yeah. get to see the outcome. Yeah. And so I don't know how much emphasis right now is being put on outcome and when i say outcome i mean where does this person eventually wind up right when they're when they the ones who are released back into the community. back into the community and even the ones that go back to a prison setting are they are they mentally healthier when they get back than than they are when they left right and and i know the answer to that is obviously yes so if you work at cdcr don't get upset the answer is they you know these guys get healthier with treatment in the crisis beds. They get healthier if they come to a uh, to a hospital and are treated in a forensic psych facility. They get healthier before before they go back to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you see them gain some insight. Not always, but you see them gain some insight. Okay, it's, it's pretty amazing. And working with the thirteen seventies, the incompetent to stand trial. I mean, some of these guys come in. Uh, some of it's drug induced. You know, we have. A, I want to yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk about is drug-induced psychosis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, common, preach it. Preach it. Let's hear it, man. Common, common uh, symptom uh, diagnosis when they come in. Uh, they've been on crystal meth. Crystal meth is an evil drug. If anybody's doing it out there, stop. It destroys your brain. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it for 20 years. It's been going on a long time. Yeah. It destroys your brain. It yeah. turns it into a piece of coral. A piece, uh, just a, uh, a yeah. sponge. Good visual. Uh, yeah, good it just, visual. Um, and where was I going with that? <laughs> you well, you uh, wanted to talk drug about induced psychosis. Yeah, yeah. As a diagnosis, as a diagnosis, and we see a lot of it. And um, I think uh, meth, especially, brings out mental illness that might have just lie dormant. Uh huh. That could have sure, or they could have been a functioning person in society. Sure, and just. That's what it took to just push them over the edge. I don't. Our brains are not meant to stay awake for ten days in a row. Your synapses are going to fry. So it, it's interesting. But, uh, I've, I've, in my experience, these some of these folks uh, drug induced psychosis, and then they get they're not on that drug anymore, and then they get better. Like yes. they recover. Right, recovery and, is possible, and then the recovery is possible, and then they're they're stuck with this oh my god moment. You know, I did what? Yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't have done that. We have it on police video. Yeah, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, okay. Talk okay. about it. They have some serious wake up calls. Yeah, in there. Anything else you want to say about that? That 
I can go on forever about that subject. Well, go for it, man. This really is, we, we're here about to talk. We're here to we're here to express opinions because I've seen you know young guys, but it's an all male facility. I don't know if you yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, it's all males. Uh, I've seen a young man come in there who probably could have had a normal life, relatively normal, and uh, the meth or uh, you know other stimulants because um, you know you have these. Bath salts and all these uh, designer uh, right. uh, drugs, all this. Um, they could have done really well. And you see the intelligence level that they could have been fine, but they chose to destroy themselves, essentially. It's really yeah. sad. That's probably one of the saddest things. Yeah. Um, because they decided to go on a bender that didn't stop for months. Right. And, and why did they go on a bender? Because they, they felt the need to numb whatever was whatever whatever was uh, painful for them uh, yeah. yeah yeah it's a shame it means same for i've seen out long-term alcoholics same thing yeah so uh, the damage that's done yep and why do people drink why do why do alcoholics drink at that level because they are seeking to numb out some pain yeah and that's yeah self-medicating it's, yep yeah. yeah terribly tragic um okay, okay. Well, that's sad let's move on <laughs> let's let's move on um what do you think is coming down the pike for, for our field, forensic psychiatric care, in the future? What do you, what do you think is going to see? What do you think you'll see? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. Wow. What do I want to prognosticate in the future? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Wow. Um, I don't see this hospital going anywhere anytime soon. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, and I'm going to underline, unfortunately, business is booming. I've heard um, that. Admissions are up. Populations are up. We're up to seven state hospitals now. That I sounds believe. right. That I sounds right. Up. They just built a brand new facility in Stockton, like fifteen hundred beds. Yeah, of uh, same type of population. So um, I don't know if it's moving in the right direction or not. Uh, yeah, we well we have we just have a, a big population in the state. Anyways, we have we, our population is significant. So I mean, mm-hmm. our general population. So I mean. Yeah. I think I'm seeing a lot more people in prison who need to be here at the hospital. Gotcha. Pulled out of prison who are having mental issues. I think it's being recognized earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Are these, are there, these are people that are coming from what would be referred to as EOP yards? Yes. Okay. All right. So the future of forensic psychiatric care as a field, this is not going anywhere. Oh no. Not, right. the, not from what I can. Not from my angle. All right. Well, that's that's sad, but but probably but accurate news. Yeah. Okay. Um, in your opinion, where is the care provided for forensic psychiatric patients weakest, or where is it strongest? Um. Hmm. These are. You didn't say these were going to be such hard questions, Sam. This is. This is. We're, we're, if you don't. If you don't want to. You, you don't want to answer. Kidding. You don't have to. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, the weakest, I would say, for psychiatric patients. If you were to say the weakest, I think that getting them prepared for release. Now, okay. I'm not saying they don't prepare them, but I think a lot more emphasis needs to be put on, well, what's this person going to do once they're released back on the street? Do they have a job lined up? Do they have family? Okay. Um, and it, the what, what, what's their infrastructure? Great- what's, yeah, what's their resources? What's their infrastructure look like? Yes. Right. Okay. And I know the social workers know a lot more about the subject than I do because that's not my that's not my area. Yeah, you're um, you're you're preoccupied with with making sure twenty five staff do what they're supposed to do and get paid for it. Yeah, and and yeah. much of my day is just involved in staff issues um, and keeping them, like I said, keep the patients and, and staff safe. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, when the, what, so what happens to these people once they're, they're we're able to do treatment, we see improvement, they go through the program, they get insight, they've done their time, yeah, uh, and they're back on the street. Now what? What have we done to prepare them to, right. to be part of society? Right. Hold a job. Get along with your family if you have one. Many, most of them don't. Yeah, it's sad. Most of them don't, and it, that is sad. Most of them, uh, I, and I can't say this with real authority, but I would say the majority of them uh, have very, very chaotic family life. If they even had a family, they're bounced around from foster foster home to foster home. Yeah, and that's um, not their fault. That's tough. That is tough. My mind goes in two directions with that thought. One direction is um, is the folks that we see um, discharging to what are commonly referred to as uh, um, uh, con rep type con rep? facilities, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and I their I think their success rate is pretty good. Um, uh, they it's it's sort of transitional living for for folks who come out of the, the uh, forensic uh, uh, forensic uh, uh, psychiatric hospital. And so there's some monitoring, and 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 there's then folks are there's some professionals there that are that are monitoring some of the behavior, making sure their medication gets taken, which is a critical element. Critical. Critical. Um, because what happens if the medication doesn't get taken? Well, we see this with the 1370s when they come to the hospital here, um, or come to a forensic psychiatric care facility, and they get and they they get restored to competency, and then they go back to uh, county jail. Um, and they are there for uh, a, a set amount of time, and county jail doesn't provide the same services as the hospital. They don't make sure that the meds get taken. So with people who are psych who, who have a tendency to be psychotic, or, or, or I should say people with, let's just say, schizophrenia, um, they start, if they start missing their meds, their, their um, symptoms you know, emerge in a big way, and then we're right back to square one. And that is the most common diagnosis in the hospital, I, I believe, is schizophrenia. Uh, some depression, yeah. OCD, but uh, mainly schizophrenia, paranoid yeah. schizophrenia. Right, right. Yep, yep. All right. Let's see here. Um, so that's where they're kind of, that's, that's where you feel they're weakest. Yes. Where do you feel they're strongest? And, and, and the, the care that we provide for forensic psychiatric patients is strongest. Where do you think that is? What does that look like? I think uh, just empathetic care of uh, just care of we're here to help you. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. If, if you have the will and the motivation to get well, we can help you. Yeah. I think that's what we do really well here. Right. It's interesting. Stan um, has has uh, Stan, uh, Stan has mentioned that um, patients that are here um, primarily, yes, they receive psychiatric care because they get medication. Yes, they receive psychological care because they there is therapy provided. But they are here, and the most thing that they get is nursing care. All these little prompts that uh, that uh, that the psych techs and RNs provide throughout the day, little little corrective steps to try and and mirror um, prosocial behavior, getting the getting them to interact with others in a in a safe in a safe and positive way. Yeah, you say it so much better than I do. Sam. No, 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 no. You just need to talk more. You need to drink more coffee. I had two cups of coffee. You know, ah, you know, okay, cup of coffee. that's the secret. Okay. Um. Hey, well, I'm interested in what you're saying, so I kind of get lost in your, yeah. in your conversation. Nobody wants to hear me. They want to hear you. What do you okay. get excited about professionally? 
I uh, right now it's a good retirement. <laughs> God, of course. Yeah, we knew that. You knew that was coming. Yeah. Um, what can I say? I, I I I feel like I've done my time there, and I think people do thirty and forty year careers in there all the time. I see it. Yeah. And I'm. I just met my instructor today. So when I first got here, and now here we are, twenty years later, and I'm telling she's still working. And I told her, yes, I'm retiring. And she was in shock. <laughs> she was, like, <laughs> she was so in young. absolute shock. She goes, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm retiring. I told her I'm retiring. She goes, oh, how long has it been? I go, it's been 20 years. She goes, it has not. She gave me a shove. It has not. I don't believe it. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Okay. I don't okay. care. All right. All right. If All right. I tell you, you have to edit it out. But No, no. I Just her first name. Uh, Christy. Oh, okay. Got Christy. you. Got you. Got you. Got you. you know, got, I got you. All right. Cool. Cool. Block, cool. Psychiatric technician school. And um, Dang. here I am. And she's still working. She wants to work. And she's been here for 30 years as an instructor, which is, you know, it's a different ballgame. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, she works inside security. Yeah. Yeah. Two different worlds working outside security and working inside security. Yep. Completely different worlds. Yep. Yes, sir. What that um, Sally Port. Is is when when you go through the Sally Port and everybody listening that works behind the Sally Port knows exactly what we're talking about. You go through the Sally Port, you you are on point. You are on point. And I don't want to get on my high horse here about the dichotomy, the separation, the uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The separation, the um, the divide between okay. the people who work on the outside of security and the inside. Okay, go for it. This is a show. Of, and, we're and talking about wanna, opinions. We're and I don't want to badmouth the administrators, but there is a disconnect from Sacramento on down to the Sally Park door. Okay. Complete disconnect. Okay, I got you. Of, you know, yes, we've got these great ideas, wonderful ideas coming out of Sacramento, um, but there's not enough thought into what it takes to implement them on the floor. Okay. Where the rubber meets the road. Okay. Hey, that sounds like a fair statement, man. I think it's a fair statement. Yeah. And I think the administrators at high levels, they need to start coming inside security and see what we're dealing with. They come on their tours. Okay. The, and we know what the tours are like. And they're, they're, they're kind of skirted around and skirted away from certain areas. But uh, I think they need to be really in there and spend more time looking around and not to police, not to make more rules and more. Yeah, but, but to observe. But to observe, so yeah. I'm on my high horse now. Yeah, well, you, here's the deal, Tom. If if you're thinking it, guess what? I bet I bet other people are thinking it too. There is a, a definite, without doubt, there's a resentment of people when I say on the floor. I mean, level of care. Sure, your psych techs, your RNs, and even with some of your clinicians who've been, you know, waging not just waging the battle, fighting uh, the good fight, fighting the good fight inside security for decades, and they've seen these programs come and they've seen these programs go. And some hotshot person up at a very high level. When I say Sacramento, we're talking about the state capital. Where yeah, the laws yeah. are made. Yeah. And, and laws are made. And I think there's a little thought when a law is made, the ripple effect that yeah, goes down sure. and affects everybody. I am not. I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to. Yeah. I, I'm not. I. I'm not in a position to address exactly what you're referring to because um, I don't know. We don't have to elaborate on it. I will temper that with. Um, the, by referring back to what we said earlier, um, we we do things here based on information. The information we get is based on scientific studies that take time to compile and then implement. And I know that's my two. I cents. had a psych tech tell me one day it was very profound. He's 
we were collecting data for people, you know, and the, and the data goes through the channels and it goes on up to Sacramento and people take the data and they study it and then they make changes and whatnot or make come up with new ideas based on the data. Yeah. And so he's busy taking the uh, vital signs or something like that. It sounds mundane, but it's uh, you necessary. Know, when you take the vital sign off somebody, you're very up close and personal with them. And when you yeah. take measurements of guys and wrap the measuring tape around their waist, you're very up close and personal. You're very up close and personal with this person. Yeah. And um, he said, so, so what you're saying is they were, uh, they're using this data kind of like we're feeding them crops. So I'm like a crop picker. <laughs> I, I, said, I said, well, I wouldn't, that's kind of hard. Well, well, look, 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 I, I think, I think what he was getting at is, you know, data collection. Yeah, we're, we're collecting data points and it's not glamorous work, but it is important work. And it's worth somebody's, as you said earlier, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's so, got to. So he, it. that guy, was a a data collector, data collector, sport. and he, and I don't know what kind of mood he was in that day. He we, was in a foul mood. <laughs> okay, we all have those days, man. So yeah, yeah, he was sure. having a bad day, but uh, and I, I feel for him. I've been there. I, I oh, geez, I started, you know, as a psych tech on the floor. Yeah, became a shift lead. Worked in the medication room for a while. And worked down, like I said, at the admission suite for a while. That's challenging. Coordinator. And that's and also that challenging. Shift lead is one of the toughest jobs in the hospital. I'll yeah. say that with authority. Yeah. yeah. I, I've always kind of thought that um, I, the the uh, the U.S. Is may, not, may not agree with this, but um, shift leads are the backbone Absolutely. of a forensic psychiatric hospital. So you use shift leads out there. I salute you. Yeah. You have a very Absolutely. tough job. And many many of you guys did it longer than I did it. I didn't do it. I lasted about three or four years. And I said, this is enough for me. Uh, so you guys have been doing it longer than me and are, and are way better at it than I ever was. I never felt like I was particularly good at it. Uh, I salute you. All right. Hey, say, ta talking about people that you, that, that, that you have your hat off towards, can you think of an example of... Of somebody you worked with that that a colleague that inspired you a colleague okay that inspired you um, a shift uh, not you, even a shift lead a psych tech you, you use your full the the, most, you use their full name if you want to oh, okay so Tim Foster okay he was uh, acting shift lead on my unit and okay. just volunteered for the role okay when I was out with an injury and he stepped in and and ran that unit ran the AM shift which okay. is the, which is the pre challenging I think it's the busiest one yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but he ran that with the most positive attitude I've ever seen anybody do anything. The guy is the most... He can make sunshine out of... What's, I'm trying to think oh. of a cliche. Oh, <laughs> uh, that sounds like the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. <laughs> Who can take a, yeah. something? And, uh, yeah. This guy, and it's not fake. I, it's I'm going to apologize right now, everybody. We're <laughs> just we're going to stop this. But just sincerely positive, and it affected the whole unit. Just like a person, just like a negative person can poison the whole well. Yep. This guy kept my unit positive while I was out and un unable to be there. So hats off to him. So I, I admire him that, very much. You know, that's that's interesting that you mentioned that. It, it, it Positivity can be infectious. Negativity can also be infectious. But in this case, it was positivity. There is something called, we're familiar with, we're familiar with self-regulation, right? Where we try and regulate our emotions and, and keep ourselves, you know, we scan our, our, our we scan ourselves to see if we're tense or where our headspace oh, yeah, is. I'm perfectly whatever. controlled at all times. <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, me too. Ha ha. No, um, there's something called group regulation too, and it and, it, and it, this is what it looks like. We hear a loud noise goes off, 
you look towards the loud noise, and then we look at each other exactly. to see what each other's response is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Is that something? So if your shift lead is panicking and his nickname is Hair on Fire, uh, the whole unit is going to reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. And and other and, and and as in this excellent case that you're referring to, um, the, this guy was on point. This guy handled business yes. and did it in, in a, a professional and upbeat manner, which everybody appreciated, yes. staff and patients alike. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing eight hours here. Or if you're doing uh, if you're doing a mandate and you're doing 16 hours here, that really matters to you. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't fake. I mean, I, I see him in his his real life, his home life. Yeah, and it's the same. Yeah, so cool. there's no you know. Uh, yeah, it's genuine. It's, it's genuine, genuine, authentic. Yeah. Okay, we switch gears now. Can you think of a colleague? And we're not going to use their names in this case. <laughs> a colleague that um scared you that did not inspire me that scared you. Yeah, that scared me. Uh, yes, I've seen a couple of. I'll just call them a completely incompetent staff. Okay. Just completely incompetent and un uncaring okay. about their their own safety and the safety of others. Yeah. And and, and 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 if you don't care about your safety and something bad happens to you in this in this environment where we are essentially first responders, if something happens to you, I, I am I am obligated to assist you. Absolutely. And so that means something is happening to the people that you work with too. Yeah. You you got to be willing to step up and. I don't want to say lay your own life down for your friend, but sometimes that's what you're really called to do. When there's a bad assault, and I've seen some really bad ones, uh, you you better get in there and you better help. You better you don't stand there wringing what, your hands. Okay, so what happens? In panic. If, okay, so tell us the example of the bad assault, and and and, and please tell us about it um, as much as you are comfortable with telling us about it. Um, tell us about who got involved and what do you think would have happened had they not gotten involved. You know, I I hesitate to do that because. Somebody may think I'm. Oh, they're talking about me. Okay. Okay. I I, I hesitate to do that. Okay, but that's I have, fine. Um, I have seen people who have literally just frozen like deer. Okay. When they should have been pulling that patient off the staff who was getting pummeled, possibly to death, and just stand there. Okay. Frozen. Yeah. And I understand you. You have. There's a there's a response that some people they're not fully in control of, where they just freeze like a deer in the headlights, yeah. literally. Yeah, that's but I, and I've seen it, and it's and it's frustrating. It's very frustrating, well, and they feel bad for them. They feel bad about themselves afterwards. Yeah, because they realize what they didn't do. Yeah, but they just they couldn't get themselves to jump in there, and they know what the expectation was. Yes. So so that's that's part of the um, that's part of the sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, or freeze. Exactly. And that is one of the survival strategies that some animals use. Is they'll freeze. Right. And the um, and and that that stillness um, can protect them, and so yeah. that may be some. Of I don't see a lot of people running away, which is you know fight or flight. Yeah, I don't see a lot of flight, but I do see a lot of. I have seen a lot of freeze, and that's the and that's what scared you. That's that, what scared me, and so from that from then on, you can't trust that person. You can't um, rely on that person. You just know that well, they're they're out of the equation. Okay, as far as a team member, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, and I don't want to name any names. No, 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 no. And remember, we're, this is all opinions. So, okay. thank you for sharing that with us. Let's go to patients. Any patients that inspired you that you've worked with? Oh, several. Okay. Yeah. I've seen several guys come in. And uh, we've had some, I don't know if I call them celebrities, but. No, uh, be careful with that one. There are no celebrities that I can mention, but uh, people that have just come in and just um, really, <laughs> they've really screwed up badly. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. They've okay. just screwed up their whole life. Screwed the pooch. And they, they come in and they 
the uh, sober up or, you know, uh, come to their senses, whatever you want to call it, and uh, see the mistakes they've made. Okay, now what do I have to do to fix it? What can I do to fix it? And they look around for help from us. Okay. And, hey, we're here. That's our job. And they, you know, we tell them, this is what we're here for. Glad you want some help because cool. that's what we can do. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, and I can't I can't say one specific because yeah. there's been many. Yeah. But but it, it, you could kind of you can kind of get it that hey this person they something they things went bad for them for whatever reason variety of reasons maybe they are here now realizing where they're at and they're wanting to go in the right direction and and they actually they actually they actually are willing to participate form a therapeutic alliance with uh, with uh, with uh, folks that work in the forensic psychiatric setting. And, and really want to try and, 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 and make some progress. And that's yeah. inspiring. Because the resources are there for them. They're there. They yeah. just have to, you know, we have to educate them a little bit on, you know, what resources are available for them. But it's there. I mean, everything from groups to, you know, therapy, meds, uh, you name it. Yeah. Uh, and then social work for the, they have the social workers. They deal with the outside stuff, fam, bringing family in to help. Yeah. There's a lot there for them. That's that's good that you mentioned that. That's because that is inspiring stuff. That that that's it is. that's the positive side of what we do. It is, yeah. It's good to see somebody come in off their rocker, um, wackadoodle. Uh, it's I not mean, good to see them that way, but it's no, it's <laughs> not. It's very scary. But to see that to see a person who you think, oh, this person's never ever gonna get well ever, and six months later, this person is is on their way out the door because they've made such. Huge improvements, and quickly. to think we got to help with that—that's awesome. To help with them, yeah, that's awesome. Because otherwise, they would have just sat in jail, gone to prison. And that was—that'd be the last you ever see of them. Yeah, and okay. spend the rest of their life in prison. Okay, so let's switch gears here. Is there—is um, there a patient that you can think of that ever scared you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's let's like, let's pick let's pick one. Let's let's limit the scariest that. one. I say I got a, quite a few of those stories. Uh, Let's see, one that's memorable, uh, he weighed 530 pounds. Whoa. He was about six foot, oh, six or six foot six. six oh, foot man. Seven. He's just a, a giant of a man. Okay. I always stayed on his good side. Okay. Uh, because I had to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he's having a trouble one night. He's getting um, upset about something and he's kicking on his, his door. And, you know, we can't lock them in the rooms, so, but he's making noise and everybody's getting really scared. And so um, we gathered help from other units and the, the uh, police officers came for help and assistance. And we probably had, oh, 25, 30 people all around his room and everybody's looking at, look, looking at each other like, okay, well, what's, you know, it's just another day at the office. What are we, what are we doing here? We, gotta, we have things to do. And uh, we wanted to get him what's called a PRN. Uh, which is a you know a, a med to help him settle down, or, and so the this little uh, nurse who's about four foot six, nothing, <laughs> brings a little teacup size cup with this tiny little pill in it, and she brings it to his room, and everybody's um, thinking, what's the big deal here? Well, he, the police said, okay, you need to step out of the room so we can take your. He agreed to take his medication to settle down and quiet down a little bit. Still pretty angry. Well, he stepped out of the room, and of course, he has to duck down from the doorway because he's sure. so tall. And he steps out into the hallway, 
and you could hear the collective gasp of everybody <gasps> who didn't know him, this guy. We knew him. Okay. He was our patient, but everybody went, <gasps> oh, <laughs> it was a silence. Oh, yeah. Oh, crap. This guy's there, there are physically competent people. There are uh, people of imposing stature, and we got we deal with everybody. We deal with everybody. Well, all of a sudden, everybody said, well, we'll realize, what are we going to do here if this guy decides to not play nice? So he, uh, luckily, he took his little teacup, and it looked like a size of a thimble next to his hand that was bigger than uh, three of my hands. And he took his pill and agreed to settle down, and, and uh, that was it. That was a good story. Great. It, it ended well. But he was he was a frightening, imposing guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. We were, we were, we were afraid. <laughs> the, uh, the, um, I'll admit that. that. Well, that, that's where using your, you, using your squawk box, your ability to talk comes in. Yes. Because cause that is the intervention you want to you rely on with, with, uh, with every patient. Um, and and when, you're, when, you're, when the fear response in you gets activated – um, it, it should be extra impetus to, to, you know, to really focus on your ability to communicate effectively with somebody. Because if that person, um, if, if you couldn't communicate with them in a meaningful way and get that person's needs met, um, and, and, and God forbid something ever got physical with, that, that, with a person of that stature, there would be injuries and, and they, could be, they could be dire. And, oh, yeah. and we want to avoid that. Yeah. Sure. And early in my career, we had another guy who was... Uh, about the size of Muhammad Ali, he looked like Muhammad Ali. Very, his, his, he looked boxers, like boxers build. He had okay. a boxers build, um, and he was young. He was very young. He was uh, not teenager, but you know, very very young man. And uh, he was uh, DD, uh, okay. developmentally disabled, okay, and uh, not particularly nice. Okay, let's put this. So he kind of had the the triple trifecta of danger there. So he had size. Um, attitude and lack of intelligence, which is hard to uh, reason with. Sure. Okay. And so that was another one that scared me badly because I, you very hard to finesse your way when somebody just lacks the capacity that you can reason with them. Yeah, you can't communicate. It's hard to communicate with. Yeah. Them. So he wound up in restraints quite a bit and hurt a few people. And um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Did they ever Did they ever find a strategy that worked with this guy? You know, again, I don't know the outcome of what okay. finally happened with him. Okay. Um, I, I just really don't know. Gotcha. All right. Um, hey, we're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving here. Um, let's see here. How long ago did you start in this field? 20 years ago? 20 years. What did you imagine you'd be doing when you started in this field? And how does it, has your experience either reinforced that vision, va validated that vision of what you thought you'd be doing, or how has it been in stark contrast to what you thought you'd be doing? So 20 years ago... Tom Bolton, green, new, enthusiastic PT, comes to work on the floor. Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to patients, a lot of time working with them in groups. Okay. Uh, we call it, they call them sponsor groups. Okay. And spending a lot of time talking with these, these patients. And you did that for a little bit, and did you think that was, what did you think you were going to be doing? Was that what you thought you were going to be doing for well, the... That, that was the job of psych tech, it still is. Okay. I spent a lot of time talking with these guys, one-on-one, -on -one, up close and personal, one-on-one um, -on -one and in a group setting as well. Okay. Uh, and, you know, next thing you know, you're in a, a, a small room with 10 violent felons, and you better be able to finesse your way through the conversation. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unnerving. It really is. And you get accustomed to it. You get used to it. You learn how to be safe doing that, as safe as you can be yeah. in that 
in that setting. Um, I'm not saying it's safe because you never really feel safe. You just when you're on the housing unit, you sure. just never really feel safe. I, yeah, at least I never did. Yeah, and, and remember, we're talking about opinions, man. So we want we we. This is what we're here for. Some people feel perfectly safe. Yeah, I used I but I worry about those folks. I, I and I <laughs> I have had experience with with staff that feel both ways. Some some feel super safe all the time, and they and some feel um, on on edge. I, I've all seen too many people in their careers, and uh, so too many people, you know, yeah, been hurt, yeah, and had to leave countless. Yeah, so many. That's uh, terrible. That's Let's the downside see. of the job. Okay, that's so so that's what you were doing: close proximity, communicating, talking to patients every day, day in and day out. Okay. Is that what you did for twenty years? No. So now, if you, if you fast forward to my present job as a unit supervisor, and don't describe the job to us because you already did that. <laughs> how has it? How is if it's you said no? So how has it been in stark contrast to what you envisioned envisioned your career looking like at the onset? Well, I'm no longer really working with patients that much. Do you miss it? Yeah, Scary stuff um, and all. Well, yeah, because I, I spend all my time um, with my dealing with my staff's issues. How do I put this delicately? This, okay, uh, it's a full time job. Okay, with staff issues. Managing people is tough, man. It yeah, absolutely you is. You're a supervisor, and you're managing your staff. You're you're managing your patients, yes, but you're depending on your staff to really manage the patients. You don't have time for it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and so. Okay. Okay. I, I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> I don't you. want to start getting into. I don't want to start whining about. No, no, no. Time. And I. And, and, <laughs> nobody and, wants to listen to that. Yeah. Right. Right. No. No. But but we're 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 here to hear you express your opinions. This is great. So follow up question: What surprised you most about what you were doing? What surprised you? The vast amounts of paperwork and bureaucracy. Okay. Okay. I had no idea. When Once I got you got into that first tier of management, yeah. that's that was it. it was I like, had no. Whoa. It really it was an eye opener. Okay. How many hours? How many hours were you at your desk doing paperwork? Um, it, like diligently, like working to to try and grind through the paperwork. The majority. Uh, okay. Of gotcha. my time. Gotcha. There's a, there's a joke I remember that you know you can't find a unit supervisor because they're always in a meeting. Oh, great story! Now I did want to bring this up, and this is important. When I was a, a, a young swipe pick, yeah, not that I was not that I was ever that young. But uh, the U.S. we had on our unit, and it was I called him the Ghost U.S. I never see that guy. What's he doing? What's he? He's hiding down at the program office. What does he do all He's day? getting coffee. I had no idea because I just didn't know. I just as a psych tech, you're not really privy to what a su you know, supervisor does. Yeah, you learn later what they're busy with, but you only see a tip of the iceberg. Yeah, you know. And now I realize. Oh, now I see what he was doing. And now, he, now I know why I never saw him. And he was busy. And he was, and he he always seemed busy, but I thought he was faking it. Now I know he wasn't. <laughs> and, and if you're out there, I won't name, I won't name him. But uh, I apologize for anything I ever said to any, you. Any nasty thoughts I had about you? Yeah. Hey, follow, another follow up question: is, is there any advice you could give a new person starting in this field? You see, you see, twenty year old Tom Bolton just getting out of psych tech school. Got hired, going and walking through the Sally Port. Um, I would say know what you're getting into. Um, we have we as a and we're talking about psychiatric technicians. Or are we just talking about anybody doing? Any, we can anything? either way, whatever you want, whichever you want. Um, would I say anybody working inside security? Yeah. Okay, because outside security, that's I don't really know that much yeah. about. That. Okay. okay. Uh, so working inside security, know what you're getting into, uh, especially as a psychiatric technician, because that's what my was my world. Yeah. Um, 
there was forced overtime. Yeah. Which is, it may sound like, oh, I can do that. Uh, if you have a family, it's going to have a huge impact on your family. You're going to miss baseball games. You're going to miss, oh, family parties, family yes. gifts, birthdays. And it's completely out of your control. Uh, it can come at a moment's notice when you're ready. You have your hand on that doorknob and you're ready to walk out the door. You're ready to go home. And sorry, you need to stay eight more hours after you have, you've had a hell of a day. Yeah. And so I would, I want to prepare. If you have any thoughts of doing this, that is probably, I would say one of the biggest downsides. Sure. Now, you know, I mentioned the benefit package, which is fantastic. The pay is good. You're not really, there's not that many jobs. That pay this well anymore. anymore. Yeah. It's a good paying job. Excellent benefits. If you have a family, you need those benefits. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but you're going to work and what do you like? You thinking you're not going to get to see him? You, you, you. I, let's put it this way. I did a ton of overtime and I did a ton of overtime. Yes, they do pay time, time and a half. You're going to get paid for that overtime because I did a lot of overtime at other jobs in the uh, private, private sector, sector yeah. where I wasn't paid yeah. for overtime. Yeah. So, so you are paid for it, but there is a price to pay. And um, Is that what you'd wish you had known when you started here? Yes. Okay. That's right. the one thing I wish I knew. All right. Yeah. And we've got a couple more questions to get to, uh, so we'll we'll keep moving, okay? Yeah. Um, we talked about this a little bit. What do you think – how do you think your work benefits society? Well, as we said before, somebody has to do this job. We have to. You, you can't have – these this population of men who've committed felons out felonies doing it again. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's really dangerous. Gotcha. So somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it, and, and we have to find a way to not just lock people up and put them in prison because you can't just throw everybody in prison. Yeah. Uh, we have to have uh, a means for people to get better, get treatment, and get treatment, and get well, and get back in society. That's that's the goal. Yep. We want to get people back inside and not just lock them up and throw away the key. Gotcha. Okay. Well put. Well put. So we talked about we talked about the money. Let's talk. What are some intangible benefits of the work you've done here over your career? Uh, helping people, just knowing that you actually help people, cool. and working with people and helping. Uh, I like to help my staff. Okay. Um, sure. I hope my staff, if they're listening, that they appreciate. <laughs> If they appreciate that, they may differ that. But uh, yeah, I do care about my staff very much. Yeah, uh, I care about the safety of my staff, and I know that they have lives outside this place uh, that are important. Yeah, and uh, sometimes the job becomes so demanding. Like I said, with this forced overtime issue, um, we try to work with them, and and you know people get sick, people things happen in their lives, and you have to find a way to help them. Yeah, I um, wish. Everybody in 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 your position of management uh, with over staff hears really hears what you're saying to them. I can't always help them, you know. I have rules that I have to follow. I, right. I, I, I do the best I can, but at least a, a listening ear and to not just walk past and say, "Well, that's your problem." That's not yeah. me. Yeah. Um, at least listen, and, and you know, if I can help, I'll help. If I can't. Yeah, because because you you've got a team that you've got to develop. You're you're building that. You're responsible for that team that you've got. That team of twenty five odd people you got there. Yeah. And 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 leadership requires being able to 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 feel with the people that you're you're 
you're responsible for. Yeah, if they feel like you don't care about them, well then why should they care about you and why should they care about this this unit? Yeah. When I say when I say a unit, it's a team. A yeah. housing unit. It's a team of people. Cool. Three different shifts working <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> hey, how has your profession changed your private life? Oh my. The way I look at people and I, this is a this is a definite downside of the job. Uh, I've become a little bit uh, suspicious of people. Okay, sure. I'm pretty, I'm pretty guarded. I'm pretty guarded. I've, I've loosened up a lot actually in the last few years and gotten a little, a little less private. But I was uh, my privacy was everything. Um, unfortunately, in this place, uh, I kept my socializing with peers and colleagues to a minimum, just for pure safety. Okay. You know, just uh, I see people just kind of throwing it all out there, and that seems like a mistake, right? Well, letting personal information get loose inside the the, the it's not prison population, but it, it might, forensic these, hospitals population. Well, these patients are most of them are out of prison. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. It's, yeah, it's a prison population. Yeah, sure. In a sense, sure. So if you're letting your personal information slip out. And when you're socializing with everybody and they know your business and everything about you, it's hard to, you know, loose lips think ships, as yeah, they say. So. That will invariably give somebody a lever. If, if you've read that book, Games Criminals Play, you know that any personal information will be, um, will, will be examined by, by patients, by people that are locked up as a lever to influence you. Yeah. And so if any of you staff that are listening that know me are thinking, wow, no wonder you were so unfriendly. It's, <laughs> it's because my privacy pretty important. Okay. It's pretty important. If I was just a single guy, I'd probably be a looser. Okay. A little get, looser. Bro. You got other people to be responsible for. Yeah, I have a family to protect. All right. Why did I even say that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you do anything? Okay, next question. Do you do anything outside of this field that you'd like to talk about? Business, hobbies, responsibilities, things that things that bring you meaning and joy and give you a sense of purpose, all that shit. Yeah, I used to do video editing. I was a, a video editor, intern. Okay. I really love that job. And so okay. I've gotten back into that. Okay, cool. Vi video editing. Kind of creative stuff. Yeah, and the social media thing. So now that I've kind of, I'm going to, be cut loose here, be a, a regular person again, um, <laughs> a, a civilian. Now, I'm going to be a civilian because this is a military hierarchy in many ways, <laughs> in many ways how this the system operates. The abbreviations for sure. <laughs> All the acronyms. I, there's pages and pages of acronyms. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> we could sit and just, we could have a conversation about acronyms. the acronyms, could, yeah. But we won't bore your audience with that. Um, but yeah, I just... Uh, uh, you know, get a little back of the, the motorcycling a little more. and uh, Cool. Yeah, more gonna, family. Got to buy a road bike? Got to buy a road bike and take a trip? I got both. I got dirt bikes, road bikes. What kind of, what's, your, what's, bike. your, what's your road bike? My, well. Your street bike, I mean. Sorry. Long story. I inherited it from my father when he passed away. Oh, no. But the, the, the model? Yeah. It's yeah. a Shadow. It's a Shadow. Uh, Honda a Shadow? 600 VT600 VLX. Nice. kind of a oddball, lowrider. Uh, you call, you, what you call is a bobber. Yeah, kind of, kind of, yeah, like like a like yeah, sort of look Single reminiscent seat. of the Harley. Yeah, Single yeah. seat, you know, low, cool, low back fender. But cool. anyway, um, yeah, dirt bikes and uh, yeah, I even actually did a, a race up in Paso about a year ago before my sh shoulder surgery. 
And that was fun. I forgot how fun. You got to get back into I, that then. And I was racing with guys my age. And I thought, yeah, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, no wonder I love this. A ma- Masters League or whatever you call it. Yeah. See, yeah, it was yeah. a, I think they called it Super Senior. <laughs> That's that. You should, everybody listening, you should see the smile that erupted on Tom's face when he started talking about bikes in that race. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. there's a, yeah, motocross, there's nothing like, and anybody that does it knows. There are, I mean, and we know other people that, that, that do yeah. um, moto, motocross and they love it. So oh, racing motocross, there's just, there's no other sport like it, really. It really <laughs> isn't. Yeah, I believe you. Last question. You ready for this one? Is it going to be hard? Yes. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Which <laughs> which is better? Star Wars or Star Trek? Which better? Yeah. I like. Well, I like them both. That's okay. I do. I'm a big science fiction fan. I love science fiction. What's your favorite science fiction author? Author. Oh, well, how about my movie, my favorite? No, sure. Yeah, go for uh, it. Riddick Chronicles of Riddick. Okay, cool. I, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, yeah, man, yeah. That's, classic, classic. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Okay, that, right on. That style. Right on. And, you know, Blade Runner and those, you know. Do you like the reboot of Blade Runner? No. Did yeah. not. The first one is, it stands the test of time. The first one is yeah. a classic. Yeah. Um, uh, what's better? I don't know. Uh, Star Trek uh, is a little more, what could you say, believable because it deals with technology that's... Uh, Almost here. Yeah. Okay. It's, cool. It's, I I can see that coming. Gotcha. Very close. Our handheld communicators. Yes. Uh, compliments of uh, Apple. Yeah. That's and, all there. And the uh, the food replicator. Compliments of our microwaves. Yeah. So that fascinates me. Okay. Star Wars. You get a little more into the mystical mm-hmm. aspect of it. So I get a little bit lost with all the mystical things, and yet it's great. It's a great franchise. Cool. I love it. Tom, thank you so much for being here. Um, Listeners to Forensic Psych, we want to thank you for for listening and stay tuned for our next installment. Bye-bye.